BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's up? Welcome to Cherry's World Podcast. I am Cherry Johnson. Today, I have a treat for you. How many black men do you know that are patent owners? Well, I got one in the house. His name is Mr. Jason Swanson. Not only is he a patent owner, but he is also a chief meta officer. I don't know what that is, and you probably don't either unless you front. But if you stay tuned, we're going to find out. The only podcast coming through your beat stereo is Cherry's World, so let's go around like a merry-go. Plug your phone in, make sure it got a full battery. Download it Wednesday, listen to it Saturday. She cover all topics, whatever you after. She got ball players, authors, doctors, actors, rappers, singers, entrepreneurs, divas, leaders, androids or Apple, turn up your speakers. Trying to shoot my shot like the vaccine, whether it's Cherry or Maxine, whether the podcast or acting, she that queen. PYT, you know what that means. Saw you on TV and touch the screen, touch on you. I plead Lucy has got a crush on you. It'll mean the world to get a blush from you. Teaspoon to me, leave you sleep like Robitussin do. Hey, Joe. Hey, how you doing? Beautiful. I, I'm amazing. How are you, baby? I'm doing great. Tell your mother I said thank you for having you. Oh, my mother loves you. My mother has actually been asking me, how are you? Where's the baby and what's going on in your world? Mm-hmm. Baby's doing good. Everybody's good, happy and healthy. Tell mommy I love her and I'm happy that she had you and happy that she got you in, in the business. And, you know, you just are just a breath of fresh air. So I'm, I'm always pleased to be in your ecosystem, love. Oh, thank you, sweetheart. For those of you who don't know, this man right here has been part of my village for many, many years, and he's been very instrumental in my life, but he's also my sensei when it comes to this whole tech world. Can we talk about just simply you being a Black man in tech? Yeah, we can. We can. Yes, I've been in, I've been in the tech space uh, since 81 which was the first time my mother sat me on her lap when she when she worked at a uh, data processing center uh, in New York. Uh, her mentor was the mentor of Bill Gates. His name is Bill Galinsky. And uh, that's really where I started my whole love and infatuation with all things software development, coding at six years old. So by the time I got to uh, college, uh, I was 13 years old. I entered college at 13 um, at NYU's first STEM program. And it was very very out of the ordinary because, you know, the black kids from Harlem, uh, especially black boys, aren't entering college <laughs> at 13 years old, let alone a STEM program for science and technology. So I was the only black there, and um, there's nothing but white kids and Asian kids, and it was a, it was a culture shock, but I loved it because I was groomed by my family to get ready and and be part of that whole you know um, explosion of of tech, 
And, uh, and of course, me being of color, specifically Black American, uh, there, we weren't represented in that particular space. So it was, it was, um, it was quite groundbreaking. And of course, that, that really sparked me to get into tech even, even far deeper. So uh, four years later, um, I would be in Columbia University and I would be taking a train from Columbia. Columbia University, people don't know, is in Harlem uh, on 116th Street and Broadway. So I'd be taking a train back uptown to my house and I ran into my mentor who, his name is Hay Stamper. He's working for a, um, a uh, software company uh, called AMS. And uh, he physically introduced me to what is now called the metaverse. But back then it was called virtual reality. And he basically gave me an internship. He was a systems integrator. What they did um, in, in short, they basically uh, uh, produced and distributed the actual hardware, the computers that created the animations for your your Grand Theft Auto video games now and your um, you know, ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, the studios that make Hollywood uh, animations for Marvel. So this company that I had an internship with, they basically had all of the uh, the major computer systems that generated animations. This we're talking about 1993, and this is uh, just to give you kind of like a soundtrack to my life. This is when um, Dr. Dre dropped the Chronic. So I'm eating Cheez Its, drinking Coca Cola, learning how to write code and animate the Statue of Liberty, Statue of Liberty rotating uh, left and right, back and forth, and up and down in circular motion. And uh, that's really what sparked my my just uh, my impetus to get into uh, game development. Uh, video game development and that's from that point on I'm 17 18 and I developed uh, about nine video games uh in a hood <laughs> and uh yeah yeah so yeah. that's that's where that that's where it was at so <laughs> we're talking about your tech knowledge I met mm -hmm. Jay because Jay used to work at my agent's office a non-exclusive talent manager in the space Stanley was the agent he was the licensed agent and he was my mentor. He taught me how to be a talent manager in Hollywood. So what I basically did was I was um, I had a small boutique group of uh, talents that, that I was trying to get uh, major uh, speaking roles in Hollywood films. And I used Stanley, uh, who literally was a veteran in the game, Jewish man, teach me. He taught me all of what I needed to know about the nuances and the dynamics of booking talent. So he partnered with me. And I partnered with him uh, because I already had an existing plethora of people and just friends. And I helped him uh, structure his business uh, because he had so many talents. He was like, he had like 5,000 uh, talents, literally, from all walks of life. Um, I helped him basically get uh, all of his, uh, a lot of his, uh, his, um, his commissions. Because <laughs> uh, a lot of people don't know that uh, back in those days, you know, it's not like you had social media. You had to rely on the the talent to pay you your commission. We're talking about 2003, 2004. So Stanley would get the breakdown of the movie or the TV show, the commercial, and me as the agent would basically try to fill that order, right? Of that the, the talent to, to be the the to do the speaking role, uh, audition for the speaking role, or you know, be the extra. And then when they booked, Stanley and I would basically collect the commission. But so what I did was I had actors physically write the uh their their the address um on their form on a slip when they when they um, when they finished with their scene uh i had them put stanley's address on um on the card and uh and the checks from production would come to his office so now the talent would have to come to the office to pick up their uh you know their their money and we got our commission and they didn't run off so we were partners <laughs> in that particular regard really seriously that changed the whole scope 
in New York and, and of, you know, talent paying our commission. They used yep. to run off and not pay you? Uh, well, not me per se, it was Stanley. And so, um, because I, I was a talent manager, so I was, I was very hands-on with talent, especially He's due to the fact that I had- different too. I don't think too many people gonna be running off and not paying you. No, no, I was, <laughs> I'm from Harlem and we love money and you're just not gonna do that. And it was a different type of, uh, it was a general consensus of, you know, who to deal with and who not to deal with in terms of running off with someone's uh, commission. So when I realized that Staley wasn't getting his commission, I said, Staley, this is what I'm gonna do. And I, I told him the process. He said, okay, no problem, try it. Next thing you know, it worked. It works and that's what everybody's doing now. Yep. <laughs> oh, excuse me, allergies. I got nerdy problems. <laughs> well, I just coughed with you. So tech and entertainment has been your thing since I've known you, but it seems yeah. like your whole life. Let's talk about this whole meta world because I personally, I had a conversation with you and you broke it down to me, but I know there's other people out there who are my age who do not understand what's going on in technology. Can you right. explain to us exactly what this whole metaverse thing is? Sure. So it, it, it's, and it's fairly simple. So the metaverse technically uh, in layman's is a, um, is a virtual environment of various different uh, video games, if you will, that are, that are talking to each other that allows uh, human beings in the real world uh, be represented by a game character. In this case, it would be called an avatar. So you would create your own avatar in, um, in a virtual environment, which is called a metaverse, like Facebook's meta or Sandbox or Decentraland. And your avatar basically has the ability to walk throughout this virtual world, like a video game, and, and interact with other avatars that are controlled by people in the real world and how you onboard or subscribe to a metaverse you either download the app a metaverse app or you log on to their website and like a video game as opposed to you uh, going through different levels uh, you basically socialize with people you uh, buy things and when I say things I'm talking about uh, digital assets like you know uh, virtual clothing so you can dress your avatar just like anything you do in the real world the metaverse is a digital version of of real world scenarios, right? And um, what people don't understand about the metaverse is, is that it's, it's, it's an extension of what people do in the real world. It's just being done in a virtual fashion. And so um, there's, really no, um, there's really no disconnect when you truly understand it. However, uh, the future of how we interact with one another is because of things like the pandemic um, is going to uh, be repurposed uh, to a virtual environment. And so that's why you have this explosion of a metaverse or virtual environment conversation, cryptocurrency, which is, you know, which is your digital money now being used to purchase things online, as well as in these virtual environments, as well as in the real world. Uh, and so with the metaverse, uh, it's, it's, it's in this, what is called web three space, right? Mm -hmm. Where, where everybody uh, who understands web three is interacting with one another um, so you have an app, you have a website. Well, in five years and 10 years from now, you're going to have a virtual version or virtual environment that represents your business. Let's say you have a brick and mortar. Let's say you have a barbershop, you have a, a laundromat, you have a, um, a restaurant. Uh, there's going to be, the, the metaverse will allow you to have your own virtual version of your real world or your brick and mortar in this particular environment. So now people who've never been to 
you know, Miss Johnson's, you know, bookstore, let's just say with a beautiful shelf in the back, can oh. now go in and visit it in the metaverse and meet your avatar that looks like you. They're called, met we call them metahumans, which is our hyper-realistic uh, avatars. And uh, and you can meet you can meet the proprietor, you can meet the, the manager, and you can talk to that person in this particular virtual environment, buy the book, you can buy the book, you know, uh, in the metaverse, and then you as the proprietor, as the, as, the, as the actual owner in the real world, sets up the, um, the what is called gateway or the, the, the way to purchase that particular book. Question, yes. Okay. So when they, buy, <laughs> when they buy the book, would it be a digital version? Right, so that's a great question. So it can be both. It can be the, the ebook, right, that your avatar can 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 uh, can obtain, and you can take it. You, you, your avatar can take that digital book, that ebook, back to his or her virtual mansion or virtual condo, right, in in, in, vir in virtual uh, New York City, if you want to live in a high rise, or you can uh, set it up where, like 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 you order a book on Amazon. Uh, the, your avatar can buy the book in the metaverse at your virtual store and uh, your sales, your salespeople uh, can sell it and um, your staff can physically send that book in the real world once they get the order from the metaverse, like a website mm -hmm. and send the, the actual physical copy to that person in the real world. Amazing. That's okay, where so we're going. Now you are a chief meta officer. Metaverse officer, uh-huh. What does that mean? Right, so that's another great question. So, Chief Metaverse Officer, I'm a, I'm the Chief Metaverse Officer of my Meta World, um, and my Meta World is like the GoDaddy of the Metaverse. And what we basically do is we develop uh, virtual environments for various different industries, from people in the hospitality industry, uh, people in the medical industry. So, what a me uh, Chief Metaverse Officer does is he or she uh, is the the actual go-to person to explain to the uh, the investment community or clients. Uh, in any industry, how they can basically repurpose their uh, their real world business in the metaverse and how it would work. So we explain from inception, from the idea standpoint, all the way to uh, the, to the build out and of course to the launch phase of releasing that that your virtual bookstore to the world. How to market it, how to uh, obtain, how to monetize your virtual environment. Uh, so the chief metaverse officer explains all that to clients. And he or she makes it make sense in layman's so that you can basically make money. Mm -hmm. That's what I do, uh, aside, uh, aside from other things. <laughs> if, a shift. Mm -hmm. if somebody wanted to like reach out to your company, right, to get them to build their own little, I don't know, parcel in the middle world, mm -hmm. how much money would they even need? That's a great question. <laughs> so uh, keep in mind that you're not, when you're, when you're building a virtual environment, or you're building a metaverse project, right? You're not uh, you're not building a website, right? Which might cost you fifteen hundred or five five hundred fifteen hundred dollars, or if it's a real kick-ass website, you know four thousand. You're not building an app, which might cost you fifteen hundred dollars or maybe two hundred fifty thousand dollars. You're building a environment, right? Uh, that that involves what is called gamification. So gamification is and people think oh, it's like a video game. Yes, but it's it's a little it's 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 more simpler than that. Uh, so it takes more engineers to build your virtual environment to set up the, the ability for people to buy stuff uh, or for people to um, not only purchase your digital assets or um, purchase your services, but more importantly, for people to also engage with your avatar 
it takes different types of engineers to do that game developing engineers like people who who uh, work on uh like grand theft auto i worked on the first grand theft auto back in 98 right or you know so that's th that's the type of engineer uh, you would basically be hiring to create your own metaverse project, right? And then there's, of course, then there's uh, there's people that deal deal with your copy, meaning that your wording is right. And then there's the um, then there's the the engineers uh, to to basically create your your um, e-commerce mechanism, the ability for for someone to pay for your book in the back with cryptocurrency, whether it's uh, you know using a Bitcoin or Ethereum, which is which is the digital currency that a lot of humans use to purchase virtual assets or digital assets on on the blockchain in these metaverses so uh to your question how much would something like that cost it really depends on um the complexity of the project and i'll be brief and and, and short about it if you're building a barbershop um on 125th street from bottom so that's my go-to right <laughs> so if you're building a barbershop you know on 125th street like levels right between um saint nick and amsterdam uh and uh and scorch you from the project let's just say um and you want me just to build that 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 barbershop uh and you want me to gamify meaning you want me to uh to allow your uh users to uh to order or, or to book an appointment right that's the, that's where the gamification comes in or you want to throw a sweepstakes and say oh we're giving out you know a free flash screen you know sign up here and and pay in bitcoin so that um to do a demo just a demo without gamification right just so that you can see it that would start you at 50k okay and that's engineers right that's you're getting game developing engineers you're not getting software developers that just do websites you know or app developers uh that just do apps uh and keep in mind software uh software itself coding itself uh, you, you start to get into the conversation of different types of codes that create different types of of platforms, whether it's you're developing Netflix, that's a different type of language, as opposed to developing a barbershop in the metaverse. That's a game development development language, right? So it's different from JavaScript, right, which is your Netflix and your your websites, to Objective C, which is your your coding your coding language for that. So that's 50k for a for a um, a uh, uh, a your I'm oh, sorry, brain no, fart. Okay. Uh, so that's 50k for your um, uh, for your sample, right? Um, and your demo, excuse me. And then if you want us to gamify it, right? Uh, meaning you want all these bells and whistles, you want the avatars to be built to look like you, you want AI built in, artificial intelligence, so you can automate certain things. You want, um, uh, yeah, AI, you want uh, a, 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 a multiple uh, different things. Uh, that will start you at 250K, okay, and up. This yeah. is a big and the re thing. Like this isn't something that you yeah. go into when you ain't got no money. This is when you got some right. money to invest in yourself. Right. Right. And then besides from um being able to make appointments or to sell books, how are people making a lot of money in this whole meta world? Right. So people are making money um from various different uh different revenue streams. Uh people are making money by selling digital assets. Um, in a form of NFTs, which stands for non-fungible tokens. So an NFT technically is a computer code that can't be duplicated. That's why it's called non-fungible. Fungible tokens are Bitcoin. Bitcoin can be duplicated, right? That's why there's 23 million uh, Bitcoins out there to be obtained, right? So and those are called fungible tokens. So NFTs are non-fungible tokens in which people basically use to sell products in the real world, products or assets in the real world. You have a house, you have a mansion in California, Bases, right? Well, um, you know what? I want to sell my mansion in the metaverse 
and I want to charge you using, I want to charge you a specific amount, but I only want to accept Bitcoin. So people are making money selling assets in the metaverse using Bitcoin um, and in a form of, in a form of NFTs. Uh, and that particular transaction is, is uh, stored on the blockchain, which is co technically considered a digital ledger, right? Uh, I don't know if you know what a, what a what blockchain really means, but that's what it is. It's a digital ledger that keeps track of every transaction between human beings on this particular platform, this software. And, um, and the smart contract, which is basically what it is, it's a smart contract, right, between you and I uh, stating that I purchased your mansion in Calabasas in the metaverse or in the real world. And uh, it can't be it can't be broken. Or and it can't be duplicated. I paid you. I paid you in crypto, whether it's in Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin, you know, or a stable coin, uh, which is a different type of cryptocurrency. Stablecoin is a coin, is a digital currency that's backed by like an like commodity like gold or silver or platinum. That's a stable coin, which is different from a Bitcoin. Bitcoin is not a stable coin. It's volatile, meaning it goes up and down. You don't know. It's not backed by anything. Um, and so we 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 agreed. I'll buy your mansion using Bitcoin. Because it's trading at twenty four thousand dollars right now USD, and you know you know that you can you know you know that um, that Bitcoin is worth something. So people are making money from selling digital uh, assets, uh, digital clothing. They're they're making money through gamification in the metaverse. They're making money uh, building virtual environments and charging people to live virtually in these particular metaverses and gaming. So there are metaverses that are games like Sandbox, Decentraland, um, Upland. Where people where people are making money by buying a block of Harlem, let's just say in the in the in this particular metaverse, they mm -hmm. buy they bought a whole block on this map, kind of like when you look at Google Maps, you see the you see the map, you see the you know the um, you know the the various different blocks right that are illustrated, and uh, in in this metaverse, which is a game, you can buy this back this actual parcel of land, which is a looks like a city block. And then you can resell it to somebody else who comes in because more when more people join this particular metaverse, the actual value of that particular virtual property goes up. So that's how people are making money. Meta real estate is crazy. Do you remember yes. when I called you? So I called Jason like a year ago, right? Because I was interested in buying some meta real estate. And I had asked somebody to price it for me. And they were like $250,000. I said, wait, $250,000 real money? Like, yeah. I I just, I wanted something on the internet. And they were like, yeah, that's what I'm like, buying a real property. Right. So I could literally play the real estate game in yes. the metaverse, just like I play right. in real life. Correct. Right. If you were going to invest right now in real estate, would you do it virtually or would you do it in real life? Right. That's a great question. So um, I would do both. Um, there's, you have a new, New business models that are emerging because of the metaverse, uh, like Nas invested in this Asian girl um, uh, in in Atlanta. She's buying real estate in different metaverses. Keep in mind, there are different metaverses that are out there. There are metaverses where you could just socialize and meet people and go to clubs, and there's metaverses where you could just buy land, and, in hopes that 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 land in the virtual world will uh, will increase in, in you know in um in its worth. Uh, but uh, there's also metaverses where it's just it's just established as a video game where you can basically make money by, you know, killing zombies and, you know, uh, which is which is what Roblox is. Roblox is one of, is the biggest metaverse. It has 230 million active users daily. Your niece um, is daily. She's correct. And, right. And 
a lot of young people in the metaverse uh, um, in, in terms of Roblox are literally making money because they're building real estate in the metaverse and they're selling. So to your question, I would purchase I would purchase uh, real estate in in different metaverses uh, that are that are within your budget, of course, like Upland. You know, if 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 Upland releases the Bronx in or which they did, they released the Bronx in Brooklyn. So I bought parcels of blocks in Brooklyn because you know I I can relate. And um, and then people started onboarding the meta this particular metaverse, and the value of that block started to go up. So I bought it for like four hundred bucks, right? Um, $400 USD, which equated to something, uh, which equated to, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of UPEX, which is their version, their cryptocurrency, because they have their own cryptocurrency for their metaverse. And then when more people started to onboard that metaverse, the value of that city block in the Bronx, I mean, Brooklyn went up for me. So I was able to sell it off. Uh, so to your question, I would purchase also real estate in the real world that's attached to the metaverse. So there are metaverses that so there are metaverses that are doing deals with actual real estate, real estate owners of actual commercial and residential uh, properties in the real world, because now uh, commercial and residential property owners are becoming hip, and they're saying, well, whatever metaverse is popular, especially the ones that aren't game that aren't like um, video game esque, uh, like you know, sand uh, like uh, uh, Roblox or Upland. The ones like uh, like um, Second Life. Second Life is a metaverse that's that's mirrors Earth, if you if you will. So you can purchase parcels of land in that, that particular metaverse. Uh, we're talking about Second Life. You can go Google it. They're owned by Linden, Linden Labs in San Francisco. You can actually buy parcels of land. So uh, real estate owners of residential commercial properties they're attaching their real their actual real estate holdings in the real world to metaverses so that they don't get you know left in the dark and so what we're doing with my meta world we have our metaverse called earthia in which we're, we're we're developing these very different business models in terms of making deals with real estate owners who own commercial and residential property um, as well as uh, creating various different uh, opportunities for new entrepreneurs right that see this as as a value proposition to uh, their existing business model or new entrepreneurs that <clears throat> see this as a way for them to make money because they don't have $250,000, but you know what? They may have $400, may have $1,000 to buy this small parcel of land that's next door to you because you're a celebrity or Punky Brewster, your family matters. Oh my God. So that value, I know that if I buy <clears throat> my parcel of land, virtual land next to your apartment building that you own, right? And Bowen Hills, let's just say, uh, you know what? I know I'm going to make some money as a new entrepreneur because you are going to bring all your celebrity friends and they're going to have an apartment or they're going to have a condo or they're going to have a mansion and I can I can um, I can sell it to Jason who wants this land from me because it's next to Miss Johnson and her friends in that community. So those are those are the business models. It's crazy, but it makes so much sense. I'm so thankful that I have you in my village. And Love that you. I can reach out to you anytime. I love you too. I am going to put your links down below so that other people can reach out to you as well. What is the easiest way for them to get to you to have a conversation, maybe to understand a little bit more in depth? Sure. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm accessible. So I'm on, um, I'm on Instagram. It's jason.a.swanstun, S-W-A-N-S-T-O-N. So you can instant message me. Um, and whether I'm in America or I'm in Asia, I still answer. Uh, 
I'm on uh, Facebook, of course, and uh, or you can just hit me up directly or, you know, Jason Swanston at Gmail or that's the Gmail because a lot of people have Gmail or hit me up at J at JS at Erfia dot IO. That's E-A-R-P-H-I-A dot IO. And um, I'll answer. But the best way, if you want to get me right away, is hit me on IG and uh, um, or or TikTok and I'll answer. I'm sure that I put that below. OK, so. So, Talking about whether I'm here or whether I'm in Asia, like I love <laughs> you guys understand, like we go way back. So way back. Yeah. So to hear him be like this grown man who is what <laughs> are you? I can't call you tricoastal. You're you're bi continental. Bi continental. Right. You mm -hmm. get which continent you want to live in and, and when? Yeah. So yeah, because because of me being in the tech space, Asia is um is really inviting to um black tech engineers like myself because we talk the language. And um in India, specifically where I live, uh they have um, you know, they have things called IT parks. Um and these IT parks are kind of like like Silicon Valleys. And you know, you either you, you, because you you're you're in the tech space like myself, you look for talent in that particular arena. And so you go to India, or if you if you can stomach China, not being derogatory, but if you can stomach China and their culture, um, you go to China and um, Shenzhen, and you, um, you, you know, you dip your, your toe into that particular ecosystem, and um, you meet friends, and next thing you know, you're hiring that talent pool. Um, and the interesting thing about, you know, uh, Indians, East Indians to be specific, with, um, with, you know, their, their, disposition towards African-Americans is, especially in North America, is when you get to their particular continent, uh, it's very different. Um, I, I didn't really witness the, the racism or, or I wouldn't call it racism, I call it bigotry uh, that I did when I was in America uh, from that particular ethnic group. Uh, when they found out that I was in the tech space, it was a different type of uh, look. And they basically, they basically were astonished and of course, you know, culturally, it, it may seem derogatory, you know, where they say, oh, well, you're really smart. How are you smart? You know, because they're, condi yeah, of course, you know, they're conditioned, wow. you know, from Western media that all African-American males, straight males, not gay, straight, I, be, I have to be very dis descriptive, right, um, <clears throat> uh, are thugs and criminals, you know? And so when you meet an intellect like myself, um, who's not gay, who's straight, um, and because they're in, and, and I'm, I'm making this point because there, there aren't that many of us, um, in that particular space in Asia that get accepted. When I say get accepted, meaning invited to their table. Um, and you have to be invited to their table because you're in their part of the world. Right. And so I basically break those barriers and I kind of express them, Hey, listen, this is not, you know, this is, I'm not, I'm, this is not power you know, the TV series. I'm not from that particular ilk, you know, um, and I'm explaining to them, your blue is not my blue. Your hue of blue of understanding is not, and that's why I, I express to a lot of people who who hire Indians as software developers to build their websites on Fiverr and, uh, you know, and even GoDaddy. It's like, you know, you got to explain to them, uh, at, like your blue is your blue because you come from a different understanding of what blue is because, you have festivals in India, right? But my blue, because I'm from North Carolina, is a North Carolina blue, right? Right. right. So I try to tell people who hire uh, Asian uh, engineers to really explain to them 
what you what your blue should look like when they're building an app for you or where they're building a front end you know website you know how your website is going to look the color scheme and everything so but it was you know living in india is cool it's it's you know um i've broken a lot of barriers i look at myself as a champion for my community uh, my black american community i look at i look at myself as a champion for the uh for black people throughout african excuse me throughout the african diaspora when talking to asians in the tech space because they just don't look at us as intelligent or mathematicians or scientists. When when history has shown that we've we are patent holders, we yeah. uh, we created, we've invented a lot of things that have changed the way. Look at Lewis Latimer; he literally pioneered the filament that make that keeps lights on and keeps light burning in your light bulb. You know, look at Dr. Garrett Morgan, who invented the traffic light as well as the gas mask that helped American soldiers fight the Nazis. You know, we invented, these are black people. Look at Gladys West, who, who pioneered and invented the GPS uh, mathematics for, you know, for location software. So, you know, it's, it, let's look at the, uh, there's, there's so many women, the woman who invented VoIP, voice over internet protocol. So the reason why you and I are able to talk right now is because of a black woman. She's alive today, today and she holds, she holds over 80 patents in voice over internet protocol, the, the, the ability for me to talk to you through the internet, okay? was invented and pioneered by a black woman. And I'm not going to tell you her name. Go look her up. No, I love the fact that you're talking not about you, but Not you, but the, the audience. <laughs> no, no, no. But I just, like, we go from what you say something, and I'm like, ooh, 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 because there's so much that I want people to know about you. You talk about patents. You're a patent owner yourself, sir. Yes. Yes. I'm ex yes. Thank you very much. I'm very excited. It was, it was very, um, it was a, uh, it, it was a trying journey. I, I will tell everyone uh, you just can't become a patent owner in technology because I'm a patent holder in technology. You know, you, it's like going in front of the board, you know, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, going in front of the board to get off parole, I mean, uh, get out of jail uh, <laughs> for a quick, you know, correlation or um, not to say I've been in jail, but my, a lot of my family member, uh, members have been, but uh, it's kind of like that, you know, it's like, are you going to be free, you know? Uh, when you submit your, it's called an abstract or the description of your patent to the United States Patent and Trademark Office, the USPTO. And so, you know, seven to nine other engineers, which are patent examiners, are going to vet and look at your abstract and look at your diagram to see whether or not, you know, um, you know, you're impeding or infringing on, on Apple or Microsoft or Netflix's patents or whatever they file because you don't know. You know, you do a patent search with your attorney, see if anyone else has it. Okay, they might not have it. Then you still, then you have to submit and it hopes that it passes the smell test because you can get rejected. And that's after you spend all the, you know, all this money, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars because you can't be rejected. Um, and uh, yeah, that's what happens. But what I try to tell, uh, especially uh, black, young black uh, creators who are, who want to get into tech and, and develop ideas, you know, don't tell anyone uh, when you uh, get an attorney, especially get a law firm that, uh, that doesn't see you as a black person, but sees you as an inventor. And that was the trouble I had when I started my journey with my platform, Obneo, uh, was I went through so many law firms that literally, because of my idea being a, a streaming platform that can debacle the cable industry and basically control, uh, have content providers like yourself control your narrative, um, I had law firms that basically wanted me to sell the actual uh, the actual source code, the actual code, not even a patent, just the code first, right? Because in because um, a lot of uh, uh, white law firms, um, because a lot of law firms in America, they are white owned um, that 
deal with patents. Uh, and and I'm, I'm talking about the law firms that I've encountered in the beginning of my journey back in 2006. Uh, and their whole uh, impetus is for you to sell it, right? Sell your stuff. Just like, you know, rappers, like, you know, go get a deal. Don't be independent. So technology is like, sell it. I had a law firm in Boston tell me you'll be in a Bentley tomorrow. And um, no, nobody's going to believe a black man created a a, a software that can that can basically compete with Time Warner Cable Spectrum, you know, Comcast and Cablevision. And this was back in 2008. And then I had to tell that partner, hey, come downstairs with me. And this is after I engaged him, I gave him his, you know, his, his money. And um, we're walking past a, a vehicle. And I, and I told him, I said, listen, this is the end of our business relationship. You know, I hope that, and, and, this, and this guy was a partner of the firm and he was black, he was a black partner. Um, he, was, he was a junior, but he was still a partner. And I was very taken aback because he had somebody who wanted to buy my, my software. And um, I said, listen, I, I hope that you never, ever see the light of day because your ideology, the way you think is detrimental to any black kid coming from Harlem or any other inner city that has a great tech and, great, and a great idea. And then I opened my door and I hopped into my Rolls Royce Phantom. And he didn't know I had one. <laughs> but this is the same guy. He, and this is the same guy that said that sell it and you'll be in a Bentley tomorrow, not knowing I had that at that time. So, you know, and of course he looks catatonic. He was like, wait, 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 but this is yours. There's nothing to discuss. You know, I'm disengaging. So all that to say is that, you know, it's very hard. It was very hard to get a patent and to get, find a law firm that would, that basically would take it on. Um, and then I found a law firm um, out of Seattle, you know, Asian law firm. and um, and they understood it. And so my patent basically covers the ability for you to uh, watch television and uh, do multiple things. And I could talk about that because a patent is a, is, is a, uh, is a uh, public, it's a, it's a public document, right? Uh, and you can not only watch a TV show, but you can purchase merchandise directly from the stream, uh, as well as order food, uh, socialize at the same time while you, uh, uh, while you enter the metaverse or uh, use uh, cryptocurrency to purchase something uh, all in one particular web window through through an actual streaming app uh, or a desktop uh, and laptop version of the actual platform itself. So that's what my, my patent covers. And I can't I don't want to go into detail because I have other proprietary stuff behind it, but it allows content creators, filmmakers, uh, distribution companies to uh, to scale exponentially because uh, you can uh, you can geo stream. Uh, I mean, you can watch the American Gangster at the same time. I'm in India, you're in California, and uh, it'll cut to commercial. I'll get the commercial that's you know that's targeted to me as as a black man, and you'll get the commercial that's targeted to you at the same time. And then we'll we'll be able to click the buy now button, which is part of my patent, to purchase that service or that uh, that product directly from that commercial, that advertiser, as well as when it cuts back to the scene of American Gangster, which is one of the movies I worked on, um, <laughs> you can, you'll be able to buy Denzel Washington's vintage, you know, uh, leather peacoat he wore in the scene in Harlem from, you know, the platform. So that's basically what we're launching. And, and of course, the ability to instant message your friends in different languages while you watch TV at the same time. Now, people may, you know, argue and say, oh, they have stuff out there. Yes, they do have various different remnants of what we're bringing to the market, but no one has it all put together in a cohesive manner where it minimizes it minimizes uh, the yeah it minimizes the experience of of buffering while watching something.
something and doing something else at the same time. You ever go to a website, it's like, wow, I have all these pages open and, and my computer's slow. Yes. And that's because that's because your internet connectivity is is throttling, it's choking basically, because it's sending data packets of sound and image and video to your web, to your laptop or to your phone. So if you go open up to another page, another page, another page, now it has to split the, you know, it has to split the duties, right? Of sending data packets to all these different web pages or these know different why I'm apps. While you're saying that, you know why I'm giggling? <laughs> uh -huh. I remember sending me a script a long time ago and I was like, it's taking so long. And you were yes. like, how many windows do you have? You taught me that. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. you guys, I just want to say, like, first of all, he talked about judging a book by its cover. When you see Jay, <laughs> he is like, t shirt. Hoodie, jeans, so laid back. Timberland. Timberland, but he's so successful. Oh, I can't even say the word. You're so successful. And you've been so successful so like all your life since you were so young that I don't think people expect, I should say, for you to jump in this Rolls Royce fandom. But he will jump with the Rolls Royce fandom and then get on the train. Mm -hmm. Like within like 15 minutes. You're so That's the beautiful thing about New York. How do you feel about people judging the book by its cover? Like, do you feel like you get judged more by white corporate America or by black corporate America, like by your own people? Oh, that's okay. <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, I think it's even, you know, um, uh, the white corporate construct that controls various different industries judge me if I'm not wearing a suit, um, even if I'm coming to a golf uh, event, uh, I'm not wearing golf clothes or golf attire. I'm still wearing a suit, which is what my grandmother taught me because, you know, she comes from the civil rights movement. My grandfather, he was a Garveyite, right? He believed in Marcus Garvey teachings. And he said a man should always, a black man should always wear a suit no matter where he is, especially if he's living in white America. Why? Because uh, uh, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, uh, conservative white men who are in corporate America, they identify the suit as a uniform of excellence and success and business. And because of the uh, explosion of hip hop and the attire that, you know, that, you know, hip hop artists wear and it becoming so popular uh, throughout the black American community, uh, successful black Americans in hip hop have, have made it cool to wear certain attire in corporate America, corporate meetings, let's just say, you know, Jay-Z, Russell Simmons, I know I've been there, worked for them, I understand it. Um, and so I had to make sure that I separated myself, especially because of the industry I was in, you know, I couldn't come in, in an investor pitch meeting for my tech or uh, like I met with Viacom, you know, with, you know, when I started Omnio, which they own Pluto TV by now, right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's another story. So uh, I knew I couldn't come to the, the VP over at Viacom or meeting, you know, Sherry Redstone, who is the billionaire woman. Uh, who owns Viacom, that owns BT, right? Uh, with uh, with my hat to the side, right? I had to come with my suit and it had to be a specific suit. It couldn't be Armani. It couldn't be, you know, with uh, wearing cologne from Givenchy. It had to be a Brooks Brothers. Because when you're dealing with brand, when you and I'm talking technology. Now, mind you, the other kid, the other, he might be a, a white Jewish kid or a white Anglo kid that uh, is from Palo Alto and he has galoshes and, you know, when he has his shorts, he can come in because, you know, uh, the mentality is they know, or the Asian kid, they, they, they got to know. 
So in order for that, for me to be respected, like these two particular ethnic groups I just mentioned in that particular meeting, I have to have a suit on and I have to have a specific suit that means business to the, the, uh, the investor, uh, the venture capitalist, the hedge fund, even the guy who owns the family office, right? That's worth 30 billion, $300 billion. Uh, he has Brooks Brothers on. Okay, let me see his shoes. They're not Kenneth Coles, right? Can't, you know, because the hip hop industry has Kenneth Coles now, you know? Yeah. It has to be a specific shoe that you wear also. Now, people may argue with me, but you, I'm, I'm a walking experience of this stuff, you know? Um, and it's, there was a time, like in Hollywood, where racism was running rampant in terms of, you know, how, you know, who got booked for what roles, right? That were very stereotypical of Black people. Well, it was going on in, in Silicon Valley. You know, you just, you know, I would be in pitch meetings for my technology and my technology was very robust and, and very competitive. And uh, yeah, the guy would be on his Blackberry and it's like, and I'm, I have a suit on, but again, it's, uh, it was that, it was that racism. So that's, that's the white corporate construct, you know, of, of racism, oh, not racism, yeah, racism and <laughs> bigotry that I had to contend with. And then when you talk about uh, my own kind, uh, it's not really racism, it's prejudice. You know, uh, because I speak a certain way. Um, oh, I'm, I'm yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. So I'm a I'm a white boy. You know, so I'm a white boy. I speak a certain way. But when they find out I'm from the hood, and I witnessed, you know, eight murders before, <laughs> before the age of fifteen, and I saw a guy get burnt alive, and I heard girls get raped in U-Haul trucks growing up because I'm in the hood and dodging hypodermic needles. You know, riddle me, you know, riddle me that, you know, uh, but my family unit, they understood it took a village. So because my, not only my family unit, but when I stepped outside my, my house, my apartment building, um, the, even the drug dealers knew that, you know, I was different. You know, I, there was a drug dealer that I conversed with all the time and he had the best cocaine on a strip. But when I, when I came on the block, you know, no, just really, you know, big shout out to Big E, you know, um, See, I'm still, I still got it, right? Uh, <laughs> a big shout out to E. He, he stopped everything, you know? And, um, and Bump, which was his girlfriend at the time, she would tell her, she would scream down the block, stop what you're doing, because Jason was, you know, I was, I, was, uh, I was going to NYU at the time. So I had like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you know, cardigan on. And they, was, they, they were like, they would say, you know, everybody stop what you're doing. And I would physically talk to E about comic books. And I would talk to him about, you know, PHP and JavaScript and he was in the military and he talked about alien spaceships he saw and how they had to give him drugs and, and then he got discharged and he came back in the streets so my point is it was a village that raised me so I had the best of so many different worlds um, and for the kids that wanted out you know uh, you know we snatched them we snatched as many we, we could I'm talking about my family you know my grandmother my mother you know if they were looking for a way out and, uh, and so as I got older, I, I witnessed the racism, uh, excuse me, the prejudice for my own kind because of the way I spoke or the way I handled myself until they realized that I was from the same world. They were from, or my father was, you know, he was what he was. He was a gangster. He, he, he put in his work and, it, it, you know, but at the end of the day, I still, you know, you still get racism uh, from, from whites uh, and Asians, specifically Chinese and Indians. Uh, and you still get uh, prejudice from your own kind. And I think that what we need to do is we, we need to have more discussion uh, with our, within our own community. Um, and when I say community, I don't use that lightly, like, oh, I love you. Community meaning the, the, uh, the Northeast Black community, 
the dirty South black community, because those are, those are different black communities. We're, in, we're not all black community, in my opinion. We no, have culturally. different communities, Very culturally. Different. Right. When I would live down in LA in Culver City, where the Crips were, I'm from Harlem, like, that's how you talk to women out here? That's a different black community. Yes. Really? That's how you do? Okay. And then, you know, when the, when you know when I came back home and I saw there was bloods in my hood, and I was like, that's the, that's the L.A. thing. What are y'all doing? So just even on that level, on that lower tier level in terms of ideo uh, ideological understanding and thought, I said, you know what? We have to have these discussions uh, so that we can come together as one unified front in terms of owning uh, our distribution. Now, I'm glad with social media. I'm glad that we have content creators who are creating various different um, pieces of information on how to create generational wealth. Um, I'm not saying that they're doing it haphazardly. I'm saying that they're doing it aggressively uh, and I'm happy for that. But I think that there still has to be a conversation of healing within uh, the black family. Uh, there has to be a conversation of black men uh, who have not been there for their children because their children are angry. And that's why our children are acting out like in Chicago. Oh, you know? the time with you is gone. Like it is gone back, but I need you to come back because you are my Sorry. You No, 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 you saved my life. We, we didn't get a chance to talk about, no. like he physically saved my life one time. <laughs> um, we didn't get to talk about fatherhood. Mm -hmm. We didn't get to talk about that you healed me from my first heartbreak. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's so much more that I want to talk to you about. Will you come back? Yes. And let, let me preface this before we leave. You mm -hmm. know, when I, when when you say I healed you from your heartbreak, it was nothing for, for the viewers. It was nothing sexual at all because oh, no. people, they, well, no, people will, will misconstrue that when, you know, when, when you said I healed you from your heartbreak. Right. Yeah. So it, we live in a time where everything is over sexualized between man and woman, especially black man and black woman. It was not a sexual healing it was intellectual it was spiritual you know it was emotional you know walking through that process to get away from that heartbreak so that you can go live and be the phoenix and fly free you know so yes but having a black father now having a black father is imperative to black boys and black girls i had my black father regardless of his rap sheet he was there and you know he was there period the end and he taught me how to be a man period the end he told me, this is what girls do, and this is what boys do. This is what men do, and this is what you do. You protect your mother, you protect your grandmother, you protect the women in your family. That's it. You protect the women in your village. That's it. Period. The end. And you've always protected me. And that's why I love you. I love you. And I, yeah, it, and that's why we, we are still here today. And Thank I want, so I, no, I want other Black women to have that experience of pure love from a man who's not trying to sleep with them. And mm -hmm. I don't understand why I've been so lucky to get those connections, but so many women are missing that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's because, I don't want to say that that you carry yourself a certain way um, per se, and that's the reason why, but I think it's your energy. I think it's your delivery. I think it's your transparency. Um, I think that people can feel that you genuinely care about them and you care about other people. Um, and. I, I think that if we don't start controlling our narrative that's controlled by another ethnic group, specifically uh, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant corporate American investors investing in, in uh, the degradation of black women by way of paying a rap executive, all right, or paying a content provider, okay, through advertising dollars to keep promoting the, the misogyny 
the black male misogyny, right? The degradation of black women, the rape culture, then we are going to keep perpetuating this, this indoctrination of us not uh, interacting with, e with each other with respect, okay? Not everything has to be uh, a sexual connection for me to love you and protect you because you look like my sister, you look like my mother, you look like my cousin, you know? And, and, there's, and we have to hold each other accountable at this particular point. We can't, we gotta stop saying, oh, that's them. You know, well, that's their problem. That's not, I'm, I'm just living my best life. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm just trying to earn my leisure. No. You know, that's why other ethnic groups are so far ahead of us because they understand, they indoctrinated themselves to protect the, the entire village globally. So the, the conversation of us saying, oh, well, he's African and she's from the Caribbean, she's not part of our tribe, that's not the case. You know, so I'm very careful with, with terminology like black community, because what is the black community? Because there's a bunch of different black communities. When I, where I, whenever I, I travel within North America or within the Caribbean or within uh, South America, specifically like Brazil. So anybody who's part of the African diaspora is part of the African construct, the African race, period, the end. And we have to protect each other. And that's how other ethnic groups uh, will respect us and respect our women and not promote and support any establishments and corporations that systematically and deliberately put money behind the degradation and the genocide of our children and our women and our men, period. We love hip hop. I've been in hip hop for 20 years, marketing, you know, the, the you know, marketing. I was one of the first digital strategists. I was the first uh, tech techie to do social media on AOL chat rooms for Arista Records and Bad Boy and all those guys. You know, I was promoting male misogyny, rape culture, you know, uh, and because I was part of the problem, I understood what I needed to do because I knew where I came from, but I'm part of the problem. And I had to hold my own self accountable accountable because I'm pushing rap records, you know, bitches ain't shit but hoes and tricks because I'm working with Death Row Records, Death Row East. Right. You know, and we got to say, okay, well, I need to make money. Yes, but now we're in, a, we're in the best time of our lives with the internet. We can make money without selling, selling out. We used to say sell out. Now people say sell our souls we, without selling out our own mothers, our own daughters, you know? If you don't like it, if you don't, if you won't let your daughter listen to Sexy Red or Cardi B, right? Then tell Sexy, tell Sexy Red's manager and tell Sexy Red, you know, that's there's something wrong in a comment, but then don't look at the video on YouTube so she can get mechanical royalties on Spotify. I sure do. You have to Sexy Red right, but, for me. Right. You know. We, because because that's where it's at. Once you start once you start making um, these individuals understand that our voice is heard by taking the money away, because that's all, the only thing people respect is the money, you know. And stop with these cockamamie conversations. Oh, you know, sexy red is is a plant. She's the op from the government. No, we are the problem. We're our own ops because we're not taking ourselves accountable Absolutely. for supporting that stuff. And that's what that's what that's the whole point about being a man. Because if you're a man, you take responsibility and you hold accountability. Make sense? I love you. I got to go on love that because your girl Shawana is coming on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I love you. Tell us a hi. Feel better. Love you always. Okay. Party. I love you. Thank you. Love you more. Me. Call me anytime. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. God bless you. Bye-bye. God bless you too. Bye, baby. Thank you. Bye, Bye beautiful. Bye.
Hi, it's One United Bank, the nation's largest Black-owned bank. Join our Bank Black World of Benefits when you open a Black Wall Street checking account and enroll in direct deposit. You can get paid up to two days early. Not only that, you can apply for Cash Please, a short-term loan. And the best part? There's no credit check. Join us at OneUnited.com today. Hi, I'm Terry Williams, president of One United Bank. We're proud to announce our new empowerment network with more surcharge-free ATMs than any other bank in the country. Over 100,000, including neighborhood retailers and Chase and Citibank branches. The nation's largest black bank has the nation's largest ATM network. We keep breaking records to empower you. So join me at OneUnited.com today. One United Bank. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.